Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Everybody doing all right? We good? So let me get this straight. You woke up today. You looked outside. You saw that Cherokee County was under a significant weather advisory. It was raining for the 1100th day in a row. And you said, I got to be at church. Is that right? Is that what happened? Man, that's incredible. That's incredible. So, hey, I'm glad you're here. Uh, We are concluding our How to Win at Relationship series, but let me just tell you something else that's coming next week you gotta be here for. The last few weeks, or in January, February, we have been looking at divine direction. We were talking about God's purpose for our life. In February, we've been looking at How to Win at Relationships, and I'm so excited. Next week, we're just gonna kind of park ourselves in an Old Testament book, 2 Kings, uh, which comes after 1 Kings, for those that are keeping score at home. 2 Kings chapter 6 and chapter 7 have some of the craziest stories you've ever read in your entire life. If you want to read ahead, go ahead and do it. I'm telling you, they're crazy things. We almost named the series Stranger Things. Like, it's so crazy. But Axe and Arrows is what we're looking at for the next couple weeks leading up to Palm Sunday. And you need to be here because some of these crazy stories that we're going to read out of these two chapters uh, really speak to you and I and what we can see uh, God do in our lives. So you need to be here next week for Axe and Arrows. But today, I'm so excited to kind of finish up this series, How to Win at relationships. If you've been with us for any of these weeks, what you know is that what we're talking about is when you win at relationships, it's not so that you win and somebody else loses. We want you to win at relationships so that the other people that you're in relationship with win too. We want all of us to win in relationships. I don't know about you. I'll just indict myself here. There are times in my marital bliss relationship that when we are having a spirited discussion, I want to win which means she has to lose. I scored the point, I got the thing, I made my point, you were wrong, I was right. But what I realize is the more times that I win and she loses, or she wins and I lose, we both really lose. And so in all of our relationships, what we're really talking about is how to help, help you win so that the other people win too. And so we've just been talking about some tips and tricks and tools that come right out of God's word for you to find success in the relationships of your life. And so the first week, We talked about communication. We talked about the importance of of speaking well to one another and also the importance of listening to one another. Not all of us are great listeners, so we talked about that. Uh, The second week, Pastor Trevor talked to us about the idea of forgiveness, how we've got to forgive ourselves and forgive other people so that we can really thrive in our relationships. And then last week, we talked about being a people that encourage one another, the importance of encouragement in the lives of the people that we're, we're doing life with so that they have the courage to take risks and to try new things, and that when they fail, that they still see themselves as successful in our eyes and through our words. And so we talked about that last week, but this week I want to take a little different slant and talk about something that I think is so incredibly important and often overlooked in our relationships. You know, I have a brother. I have one brother. Uh, His name is Jason. Some of you know him. He's actually been here to speak on a couple of different occasions over the last six years or so. Uh, But when we were growing up, we fought like crazy. Uh, we're about two years or so apart, a little over two years apart. And when we were growing up, when we were kids, man, I'm telling you, it, it was not a rare occurrence for us just to get angry with one another, to fight with one another. I mean, I don't know how my parents did it. Now as a parent, I'm like, I, I, I see exactly what's happening. It's like, here's our rule in our house. 
if everybody's laughing, somebody's about to be crying. Like, it's just going to happen. Like, if everybody's having a good time, we're just seconds away from somebody having a bad time. I don't know how that works, but in parenting, that's kind of a rule we go by. But man, when I was growing up, my brother and I, we fought all the time, usually over stupid stuff. But we were so close in age that we really were very competitive. It didn't matter if we were playing basketball in the driveway, or we were playing video games, or we were walking to the front door. We wanted to beat the other one in whatever we were doing, because we were so competitive. And so there were different things that happened throughout our childhood. Um, we just, we see the world through a different lens. Like, it doesn't matter what we're looking at, what we're talking about, even from an early age up to now. Like, we just see it from a completely different perspective. I remember one time, I was about 11, which would have made Jason about 9, and we had been talking about something. I don't even know what it was, some kind of argument, and man, we were just fighting, and it was probably something stupid, but I remember when that argument was over, like, I'm not a violent person by nature, but I walked into my parents' room, and I said, listen, one time, just one time, take all the punishment off the table. Let me punch him right in the face. Please, please let me do it. Well, of course, they said no. They wouldn't let me do it. We, I think we went to blows a few years later. But, um, you know, a couple years later, we had grown up. We were adults at this point. And, and Corey can usually tell when I'm talking to my brother on the phone because I have one of two reactions. I'm laughing hysterically because nobody makes me laugh like him or I am angry about something. Like he, I've said something, he's told me I'm wrong. We can't figure out how to reconcile what we're talking about. And so I'm angry. And if I'm super frustrated or laughing, she'd be like, you talking to Jason? I'll be like, yeah, that's who I'm talking to. And I remember right after we were both kind of early adulthood or whatever, and we were talking on the phone one day and I was angry. Whatever we, it was we were talking about, I don't remember, probably something stupid, but I hung up the phone and I picked up the phone again and called my mom. I was an adult. I don't care. I was tattling. So I called my mom, and I said, listen, don't lie to me. You tell me the truth. Jason's adopted, right? Because I said, there is no way that the two of us both came from you and dad. Like, I just can't see. She's like, no, you're, you're both mine, both his. I mean, it's, you're not adopted, either one of you. There was another story. We were getting off the school bus one day, and... Uh, I'm sure that day or the day before we had been fighting with one another, but that day we got off the school bus and we were walking from the bus stop to our house. And as we were walking, a group of other guys started walking behind us and they started yelling at my brother. Now, I understand the sentiment, like I get it, but I came to find out that the day before Jason had been playing basketball with some of these guys and had been running his mouth not a rare occurrence. And he had aggravated these guys to the point that now they were trying to pick a fight with him. Well, listen, I can fight with him. Those guys can't fight with him. And so I whipped around, and I don't know if it was my intimidating physique. <laughs> I, when I was a child, I was very, no, I don't know if it was that or if it was just the fear that I produced in them with my words. I'm not sure, but they ran off because... I can fight with him, but when somebody else is trying to fight with him, I've got his back. He's my brother, right? I've got his back. That's really what we're talking about today. This idea in the relationships that you and I are a part of in our lives, who's got your back? Who's got your back? And really, whose back do you have? Who are you watching out for? 
And to do this and to tell this story right, I want us to go to 1 Samuel. It's the book that we find in the Old Testament where we see a lot of the story that comes from the reign of King Saul and then really the reign or the early parts of the reign of King David. But we talked about David a little bit last week, and we're really picking up the story this week and some of this earlier than we talked about him last week. He's not yet king. David is a young guy who had been tending his father's sheep. And while he was doing that, the prophet came and anointed David among all of his brothers who were better looking and taller and more skilled and just, they caught the prophet's eye. But God said, no, 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 I'm looking at the guy's heart and it's David who would be the next king. And so he anoints David to be the next king. And then David goes and he, he takes grain and bread to the army where his brothers are fighting later and they're standing there and that's the day that Goliath was standing there just trying to intimidate the people of God and he's yelling, hey, send me your best warrior. Send me whoever you want, I'll beat them, I'll beat anybody, you just send them my way. And everybody's kind of cowering behind the table and they're, you know, they're not, they don't have a table, I'm sorry. They were hiding behind their tent or, or, or the rocks or whatever it was they were doing and they're hiding and they won't go out, even King Saul. And David's like, Psh, this is crazy. Do y'all know that God is on our side? And I've been tending my father's sheep, and while I was doing that, God helped me to defeat a, a lion and a tiger and bear, oh my, because like I've got this because God's got this. And he picks up some rocks, and he picks up his slingshot, and he goes out, and he kills Goliath, and he runs over, and he picks up Goliath's sword, and he chops off his head. And the Philistines, the army of the enemies of God, they go running off. And the armies of God, they eventually come out from hiding and they start chasing after those people. And then this crazy thing happens in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 6. It says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and timbrels and lyres, which are instruments. As they danced, they sang this song. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. There are going to be times in your life where people don't like you and it's not your fault. Now, there are some times that people don't like you and it's your fault. You ran your mouth in the basketball game the day before and they don't like you. You did something at work that you shouldn't have done. You, you were mean. You were ugly. You, you said some things you shouldn't have said. There are times when you bring on the angst of the people that are against you. But sometimes you don't do anything wrong and they just don't like you. And if you're one of those people in life that needs everybody to like you, you're going to live a miserable, stressed out life trying to make, just walking around going, well, I don't, I'm so sorry. You didn't even do anything. But you're apologizing. I'm so sorry. You know, you're trying to give gifts to earn favor. You're trying to be super, super nice. Like you should be nice, but you're being super nice just to get them to like you. But there are times when people don't like you and it is not your fault. Now, this is not so you could come today and go like, that's good preaching right there. I like that. No, no, no. There are just times you and I have to recognize, like this story here, where Saul just decided he's going to keep a close eye on David, not because anything David did. What did David do? He showed up, and he was obedient to God, and he trusted God and the power of God to defeat the enemies of God. Like, he did what he was supposed to do. But it was Saul's own insecurity that caused him to feel that way about David. 
It was his own insecurity in his heart and in his life where he looked at David and said, wow, he's already got the people singing about him. They're writing songs about him. They're speaking highly of him. And he said right there, what more could he get but the kingdom? Like the only thing left for him to get is to take over the kingdom. For me not to be the king and for him to be the next king, like what more is there that could happen other than I lose my power, I lose my authority, and he gets it. And so Saul decided that day, I'm gonna keep an eye on David. It was his own insecurity that prompted that reaction. But there are times when people don't like you and it's not even your fault. But when it happens, whether it's your fault or not, and people, they've got a vendetta to settle against you, they've got a score to settle, they're going to do something to you, it's amazing if you ever find yourself in that circumstance and you realize that somebody's got your back. And that's what we find here in this story. pretty famous part of this story is the fact that David actually had a guy named Jonathan that had his back. Now, Jonathan, interestingly enough, was the son of King Saul. So if you understand anything about how the lineage in that culture would have worked, Saul was the king, and when and if he died, Jonathan would have been the next in power. The son of the king, the firstborn son of the king, he would have been the next to to assume the throne. And yet, even though David is the next anointed king, and Jonathan could lose his actual birthright to become king one day, he decides, I like David. I like that guy. There's something about him that's special. I see something in him that I admire. And so they developed a friendship and a relationship. And when Jonathan sees how his father is reacting to David, he decides, you know what? I've got his back. Look at this in 1 Samuel 19, verse 1. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all of Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? So sometimes the hardest thing in life is for you to speak up for somebody that can't speak up for themselves. I don't know if you've ever thought about circumstances that you found yourself in or things that have been happening around you, and you find yourself and you're, man, I should, I should say something, I should speak up, I should do something. It's the right thing, but it's hard. I don't know. In this instance, Jonathan actually goes to his father. Now, even as the son, he gets away with more as the son than just some servant that walks into the room. But even as the son, for him to speak in this way towards the king and say, king, what you want to do, I think is wrong, could have earned him death. Because again, the son gets away with more than the servant. But even in this instance, nobody tells the king that he's wrong. And so Saul decides, hey, we're going to kill David. And Jonathan's like, why would you do that? Why would you want to kill David? He hasn't done anything wrong to you. He's actually helped you. He took his own life into his hands as he killed the Philistine. God brought a great victory to our people. Like, why in the world? He's done nothing to you. He spoke well, according to verse 4, I believe. He spoke well of David to his father. What an amazing friend, right? Like, wouldn't you just want a friend like that that would speak up? When you're in trouble, that would speak well of you to your enemies, like somebody that would just take their own agenda and kind of push it aside and say, no, 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 I want you to know that this guy, he's good. You, don't, you, don't, you shouldn't hurt him. You shouldn't try to kill him. Like, he is a good guy. Why in the world would you think about this? Several years ago, I was flipping through the TV, 
And I came across the show. It may still be on TV. You may watch it. I don't know. I had never seen it before. I don't think I've ever seen it since. It was kind of like 60 Minutes or 2020 where they would have some narration and one of the hosts would be talking about what was happening. And then they would go to a, a video montage of something that was taking place. Then they'd come back and talk about it. But the scenarios were that they would put people, they'd put actors into real-life circumstances in the middle of other people, whether it was in a restaurant or on the street or in a workplace, and they would act out a scene where one of them was getting treated poorly. Like in a restaurant, one of them that I remember is that one of the patrons, one of the people sitting at the table was like yelling at the waitress, just screaming and treating her so ugly. And, and the, the whole idea was that there were hidden cameras in the restaurant watching all the people at the tables around them. They could hear what was happening, and you could kind of see their eyes like, what is going on over there? And they're talking to each other. Or they're in a whisper, but nobody would speak up. And then a little while later, the waitress like walked away and one of the guys like walked over towards the kitchen. Are you okay? Do you need help? Like, why is the manager, you want me to get the manager? Why is he not speaking up? And, but nobody in that scene actually spoke up and told the guy at the table, quit talking to her that way. She hasn't done anything wrong. Quit talking to her that way. That's so rude. They went out onto the street. It was a different scene, different people, different groups of people. They went out on the street, out onto the street, and there was somebody there, and they just kind of ran by and shoved somebody and grabbed the lady's purse and tried to take off running, and they tripped to fall so that there would be room for somebody to come in and stop them and grab them. And of like 10 people that they filmed, only one guy tried to stop the guy that grabbed the purse and took off running. Now, I know sitting here on a Sunday morning, you go, well, no, I would speak up. No, I would chase the guy with the purse. He falls down, I'll jump on top of him, wait till the police get there. Like, I know what I would do. But in those moments with the hidden cameras there, they captured the real reactions of people in the moment. And so the question is, are you the kind of person, am I the kind of person that would speak up on behalf of somebody else that needs it? Again, we all want to say, yes, absolutely I am. But are we really? Are we really? Like, are we making up our mind today that no matter what it costs us, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how awkward it is in the moment or in the room or other people may get mad at us, go, oh, you don't speak up. If somebody's being mistreated, I'm going to make sure that if they don't have a voice, I'm the voice for them in that moment. I'm going to speak up. If you're a Christ follower in the room, it's a pretty easy idea for us. Proverbs 31, which is that passage that talks about uh, the, the virtuous woman. And we read it a lot on Mother's Day and, and women read it. It's like, oh, this is what we're achieving or attaining for. And, but the beginning part of Proverbs 31 is King Lemuel talking about what his mother taught him when he was a child. And this is what it says in Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. It says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. There are people around you, there are people around me that need us to speak up. And the question is, do you have their back? Do I have their back? Am I willing to speak up, even if it's awkward, even if it costs me something, do I have their back? You and I have a responsibility to speak up. Look at this in continuing in 1 Samuel 19, beginning in verse 12. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness, like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. 
And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. Getting somebody's back sometimes means that you warn them. Jonathan says, I'm going to go talk to dad. I'm going to hear what his plans are. I want to know what he's saying. There was an earlier story that we didn't read today where Saul got so mad at David that he threw a spear at David. Like David's got an idea that Saul's out for him. He's on the run. He's in hiding a little bit, but he's still around the palace. He's still in the community. And Jonathan says, here's the deal. I'm going to go find out what dad's thinking. I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to try to talk him down. I'm going to make sure that he settles down. Like, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to go. But here's the deal. If I find out that he is upset with you to the point of trying to kill you, I will let you know so that you can escape in peace, so that you can get away. He warned him about what was to come. Now, later in the story, we see that Jonathan, again, would warn him and send him away. But Saul gets so angry with Jonathan, and he's saying, you won't even defend flesh and blood. You're going to help your friend, but you're not helping me. And Saul is so mad about this. He's trying to help Jonathan see that, like, you're going to lose your right to the throne if you allow David to continue to live. Like, why are you taking his side and not taking mine? Look at this, verse 31. As long as the son, this is Saul talking, as long as the son of Jesse, that's David, lives on this earth, neither you, Jonathan, nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done, Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled a spear at him, his son, to kill him. And then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. Sometimes speaking up for somebody else puts you in danger. But it's still right. Sometimes... When you speak up to defend someone, it puts you in a bad spot, but it's still right. It it may cost you something, but it's still right. People may get angry at you through no fault of your own, but it's still right. And so Jonathan, just in an attempt to get some information for David, his friend, he says, Dad, you know, what's happened? He says, listen, here's the deal. If David lives, you can't ever be king. He's trying to help Jonathan see, like, you should be on my side to want to kill David. And John says, no, what's he done? He hasn't done anything. And Saul's so mad, he throws a spear at him. There's an attack on his life just because he did what was right to defend his friend against the attack on him. What an amazing friend. Like, don't we all want friends like that to go, wow, I mean, that's... That's the people I want to hang out with, to know that they would kind of set aside their own agenda. They they wouldn't worry if they're in danger. They wouldn't worry if people are now targeting them. They're going to do what's right. They're going to protect me. They're going to defend me. They're going to make sure that I know where I am vulnerable. And so what happens is that David, he goes on the run. Jonathan says, hey, dad's trying to kill you. You got to get out of here. David takes off. And Jonathan stays there to serve his father. And their armies one day are going out to fight. And Saul and Jonathan go out to fight with the army. And the battle gets really fierce. And Saul and Jonathan are killed on the same day. And word gets to David. Hey, Saul and Jonathan have both died. And he says, how do you know? And he's like, I was there. It happened. And David tries to go and make retribution for how they had died and the way that it happened. And that's a different story. And so David eventually is able to come back. From being on the run, he comes back and he takes over part of Israel. 
And some of his guys, like some of his boys, like, they're like, David, we got your back. Because in that day and time, and it, it even exists now in some of the present cultures and the nations around the world where a king would take over or somebody newly would be elected. And, and what happens is when that new power takes the throne, they decide to get rid of all of the family of the previous king, previous leader. Because they don't want anybody that has right to the throne to be able to raise up and go, I'm supposed to be the next king. I'm supposed to be the next president. So I'm going to take over. So what they do is when they come to power in certain places of the world now, and for sure a ton of places in history, they just killed all of the other people that were a part of the previous lineage of the kingdom. And so some of David's boys are like, boy, I got your back. I'm going to kill those guys. I'm going to kill those guys. Everybody that said something bad about you, the people that ran you out of the kingdom, anybody that supported Saul, we're going to kill them. And they start killing off people. And David's like, no, you need to stop. And there's this amazing story that takes place all the way later in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And it begins in verse 3, and I want you to look at this. Then the king, David, asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba, who was a servant, answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. When Mephibosheth, verse 6, When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son or grandson of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, Don't be afraid, David said to him, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. What you read right here is that because Jonathan had David's back, even after Jonathan died, David had his back. He said, listen, I know how it goes. I'm the new king, so what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to kill off everybody that was a part of Saul's house. And some of my boys, they've been doing that. But isn't there anyone else in Saul's house that I can show God's kindness to? Is there anyone that I can be kind to? And, and Ziba, the, the servant, comes up and says, you know what? There, there, is this, there is this boy. He's one of Jonathan's sons. He's lame in both feet. What happened is when Saul was killed and David was taking over, David was going to be the new king. What happened is that all of the servants and all of the family members, they realized we got to go into hiding. And so they took all the belongings that they had and they go running out of the house. And one of the servants picked up Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And as he's holding him, he's running or she's running out of the house. She trips and falls and she falls down on Mephibosheth and he breaks both of his feet to the point that they could not be corrected. And the Bible in three different places in this story calls him lame in both feet. And David said, wait, wait. Jonathan's son is still alive? My friend's son is still living? Bring him here. And so they go get him, and they bring him back to the palace. And Mephibosheth, he's heard the stories. He knows, like, some of, some of my grandfather's friends have already been killed. Almost all of the rest of my family has been killed. No one has been saved. Like, he knows, like, this is the day. This is the day that King David kills me. And so he comes in, and he bows down. And David says, Mephibosheth, stand up, stand up, stand up. What are you doing? He says, at your, at your service, king, at, at your honor. He said, no, 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 stand up. You're Jonathan's son. You, you don't know this, but Jonathan's my friend. There was a day that we were out in the field, and Jonathan told me, he said, listen, 
my father, he may want to kill you, I don't know, but I'm going to go find out and I'll come back and tell you and I'll let you escape so that you can be saved. And your dad did that. He came back and he told me and I was able to escape. And I'm here today, I'm not dead, but I'm alive because of what your father did. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to give you all of the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. Now, if you don't think that the king owned a lot of property, you're crazy. He said, I'm going to take all the property that was due to your grandfather and I'm going to give it all to you. And not only that, but you're going to come and you're going to sit at my table. And that was a place of honor. The only people that sat at the king's table were guests, special guests from other kingdoms or his own family. The servants ate somewhere else. His friends usually ate somewhere else. You sat at the king's table. You were somebody special. And what the Bible records here in 2 Samuel 9 is that Mephibosheth, as long as he was alive, ate at the king's table as if he were David's son. Well, he kind of was because he was Jonathan's son and Jonathan had David's back. And so David got Jonathan's back. And he said, as long as I'm alive, I'll protect you. I'll give you a place. My people are your people. I'll give you a seat at the table. I've got your back. And so the question is, as we're kind of wrapping up the series, is are you that kind of person? Are you that kind of person? Am I that kind of person? Are we so focused on ourselves that we forget to look out for other people? When they may be vulnerable, when they may be in a place where they need some help, are we the kind of people that make sure we help them out? I've told this story a couple times before, and I don't mean to be repetitive, but if maybe you haven't heard it before, I, one of the best examples of this in my mind, the image that I always think of when I see this story a couple years ago, this was several years ago, seven, eight, nine years ago maybe, Corey and I and the kids, we were loaded up, we were going on vacation. We pulled out of our house, it was kind of stressful, we had packed, got all the kids, I mean, we're just, just get out of town, just get off our street. And as we're pulling out, I just hit the little garage door button and it starts coming down and I didn't watch it all the way to the ground, I'm ready to get out. And so I was like, it's going down, it's working, I'm out. I just turned around and drove off. I came back home a few days later and I was out, you know, moving the trash cans and checking the mail. And my neighbor from across the street, who I knew, but probably not super well, I knew him. We talked a lot. Our kids played in the yards with each other. And he said, hey, did you go out of town? I said, yeah. We went out of town for a couple of days. He was like, oh, yeah, I thought you did. I wasn't sure. I knew a couple of days ago, I thought I saw you guys leave. I didn't see the kids in the, in the yard. They're always in the yard. I didn't see the kids in the yard. Your lights weren't on. But your garage door was up. Something had happened. I'd hit the button, it went down, it hit something, or it just freaked out, and it went back up and stayed up, I guess. He said, but your garage door was open. He said, so I watched. I told my wife, something's not right. They don't ever do that. So there's something not right. He said, I just waited, and that night before I went to bed, I just looked across. Still no light, still no car, and I just, I hope this is okay with you. I went into your garage, and I hit your garage door button. I came, and I jumped over the little radar thing. I don't even know what it's called, but you just kind of jump over it to get out. He said, I did that just so it would be closed. He said, I just wanted you to know. Here's the deal. I didn't even know I was vulnerable. I didn't even know I was exposed. I didn't know something bad could happen. I thought everything had been taken care of. But somebody was watching out for me. And he was just letting me know that he had my back. Not a best friend. Not somebody I've committed to do life together with. We just kind of live next to each other. Whose back do you have? 
Are you the kind of person that defends people that need defending? It's easy to say yes right now, but have you resolved in your heart that I will speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves? When I see someone that's in trouble, I will make sure that I care for them. When I see somebody that somebody's coming after, I'll I'll step in and defend them, even if it causes harm to me, because it's right. You want to win at relationships? You need to make sure the people in your life feel like they're winning too. You want to win at relationships? You need to feel like the people in your life need to feel like somebody's got my back. When I'm vulnerable, they're protecting me. When I don't even know I'm exposed, they're watching my back to make sure that I am not going to get attacked and I don't even know it. Whose back do you have? Who's got your back? That's the kind of relationships I want in my life. I mean, yes, I want people that are encouraging. Yes, I want people that are kind. Yes, I want people to forgive me because I'm going to make mistakes. But ultimately, like all of that is wrapped up in this idea of relationships. If you've got my back and I've got yours to the end, we can do anything together. We're going to forgive each other. We're going to figure out how to talk and how to listen. I want to be the kind of person that has your back every step of the way. And I know you've got mine. I've got some guys in my life right now. It's not a ton. I don't think it's 15, 20, 25, no, maybe three, four. That if, if I was anywhere in the world and I picked up the phone in the middle of the night and I said, I'm in trouble, I feel like they'd sell all of their possessions to get to me, to get me back home. And I would do the same for them. I've got some people in my life, like, I would do any, I've got your back. Whose back do you have? That's winning at relationships. That is winning at relationships. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment as we pray to conclude our time today. God, I thank you for this series over these last few weeks where we get to really look at the relationships of our lives and try to determine if they're God-honoring, if we're looking out for other people, if we're good listeners and good communicators and we're forgiving, we're encouraging. But God, now we come to this place where we have to really determine are we the kind of people that protects and defends others, even if it costs us something ourselves. And so God, we lean to the prime example of this, Jesus Christ. Jesus got our back. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while we were guilty, while we were vulnerable to punishment, you loved us so much to send Jesus to the earth for us. The Bible tells us that he sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He's praying for us. He's celebrating us. He's defending us. And there will come a day in judgment, God, when we will stand before you with no ability to defend ourselves. And I believe in those moments for those of us who have received this gift of salvation that comes from you. That as we stand there having to give account for everything that we've done, Jesus would step up and say, no, no, I've got this one. So God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for that free gift of salvation. And right now, every head bowed, every eye closed, with nobody looking around, if you would say to me today, Jeremy, I know I need to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I need him to forgive my sins and lead and guide my life. And I want today to be that day. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at and put it right back down? 
Thank you so much. Now, if you would say, you know what? I want to win at relationships. I want to take all the things over these last few weeks, and I want to win at relationships. I want to be encouraging. I want to communicate well. I want to be forgiving, and I want to help defend, and I want to have somebody's back. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you so much. You can put them right back down. God, I pray for every hand that was lifted today. God, I pray for those who acknowledge their need for you. God, I thank you for the free gift of salvation. And so, God, now we accept that. And those that lifted their hands or they lifted their hearts towards you, God, in that moment, we believe that you did an incredible eternal work in them. And so, God, we ask you to help them to live free, to celebrate as we celebrate with them all that you have done in their life. And, God, now I pray for every person that lifted their hands, that desires to win in relationships, to find success in relationships, not so that they can win and someone else can lose, but so that we all win. God, would you help us to be encouraging, to speak well, to listen well, to forgive, and God, to defend. God, maybe today for some of us, the best thing that we could do is call a friend, text a friend, and say, you know what, I've got your back. Just so they know. Just so they know if they ever need it, we're there. God, let us be those kinds of friends, and God, send those friends our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 